on that, I'd like to invite Chels. He has a special message for us on type A. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you, Tammy. Would you give everybody a big hand for Tammy? This is very, very, very first time in announcements and uh, and we just uh, thank you for, for all your smiles and your heart. Um, and thank you, Mocha Boy and Kenny, for a great worship this morning. Um, last week I was sick. And, uh, and thank you for all your prayers. Uh, it, it got to me. Can I share something with you? I hate going to the hospitals, and, and here's the reason why, and not for the reasons why you think it is. So I, I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't balance. So I ended up going to urgent care, and they said, you know, you should go to the ER. And so we drove all the way to Tripler and, went in, and got wheeled into the ER. And, you know, typically when you go to the ER, you, you take vitals. You know, we got a doctor in the house. You take vitals. And almost every time, they embarrass me. Now I walk in there, I'm keeling over in pain, and they do, they do my blood pressure. It's 112 over 75, and, and, the, and the nurse says, Ooh, wow, look at that blood pressure. We haven't seen this good, good blood pressure in 10 years. As if to say, hey, what are you doing here, right? It's like, it, it, yeah, you're what? So, yeah, so I, I don't like to go to the hospitals, but uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, with that, um, thank you for giving, giving me time this morning. The Dangannons are on travels this week and, uh, and the next week. And, and uh, they went back uh, to, to spend some time with uh, uh, Pastor John's mom, uh, who's getting up there in age. And, uh, and they're bringing all the children together in one place in L.A. It'll be a special time. Um, I would like for this morning to do an experiment. You all have, most of you have a phone, and if I can just ask you to do something for me, okay, and then, and you don't have to, to just continue to do it, but what I'd like you to do is just go ahead and power off your phone, just for a minute, just, just power off, not, not, not vibrate, but just power off, and, and if you, and if you're like starting to uh, shake, you don't have to do it, okay? You do not have to do it. But if it's okay, just power off, okay? All right. Now, put, put the phone down. And what I'd like for us to do is just close our eyes and for two minutes and, and just breathe. Breathe the air here. And breathe out. The old air in your lungs all the way. And then I'd like for us to just focus on one person. And that's Jesus. Now your work. Now your family, now your relationships, but Jesus.
Okay, you can open your eyes. All right. How many of you felt like you're reaching down to the phone and pushed that power button? I did, confess. Yeah. How many of you thought that, uh, you, did you hear the, the fan blowing? What else did you hear? Just think about that. The title of this morning's message is uh, a message for type A personality. And it may not apply to you. And so let me apologize up front if it doesn't. I want to ask you some questions. When you sat down at the start of the service, did your mind start a countdown timer in your mind? 59 minutes and 59 seconds, 58, 57, 56, 55. Are you only a fingertip away from your smartphone calendar with all your appointments, all your meetings, all your to-do list? Does your spouse tell you that you frequently talk over or interrupt other people. When I say the words incompetent people, does your mind flash a name and a face or names and faces? Are you able to remember every aspect of an upcoming meeting that's important to your company, your business, But can you remember your son's friends' names? Do you have a hard time falling asleep? Because at the end of the day, you realize that you only got to accomplish 97% of your to-do list. And so you start there thinking. Do you ever walk into Starbucks and see a line of eight people and you just turn around and walk out? Or do you find yourself standing in line and slowly dying because you're wasting your time? Because you still need that coffee to get through the next two minutes and you can't stand, stand spending eight minutes standing in line. Do you ever get irritated when you want to talk to somebody, walk and talk with them and they just can't keep up? or you're like two sentences ahead of their comprehension, you get irritated. At the end of the day, do you flex your muscle and say, say to yourself, yep, I make that happen. I made that happen. I was there. I got it done. If you say yes to some or any of those, this message might be for you. But if it doesn't apply to you, I'm sure you can think of a couple of people 
that this message applies to. Yeah, don't, don't look at the other person. You know, in Northwestern University, they did a study a while back, and they had a 1.5 million respondents. So the data is tremendous. And they went back and forth, back and forth, and they took all the data, and they essentially had a somewhere between 150 to 300 questions. And all of it, it came down to they have discovered that there are really only four major types of personalities. There's average, right? You, 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 you're going to guess that, right? There's always some, somebody who's going to be the average. But listen to the average, uh, how average is described. Average people are high in neuroticism and extroversion, while low in openness. Second type is reserved. That type is emotionally stable, which is good, but not open or neurotic. And there's a role model, category three. They're low in neuroticism and high in all other traits, meaning being open, you know, caring, understanding. And then there's self-centered, which is the fourth category. And they score very high in extroversion and below average in openness, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. But here, here was the interesting thing that I found in that 1.5 million data. So there is a dramatic decrease in the number of self-centered types as people age, both men and women. And you know what I would do? And then I would put an additional phrase in there. And that is, as they age, that's the first part, and or when they find Jesus. The scripture passage this morning is 1 Samuel 23, 13, if we can get to that. And it reads like this, and I quote, So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Kyla and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kyla, he did not go there. You know, if you just read that passage, it, it kind of sounds like some Western movie ending, right? Cowboys just get on their horses and ride away into the sunset. But we're going to find out that, that the plot was far more complicated, and we're just going to go back. That was the ending. We're going to go back and look at the, what, what this was all about. And so, so in uh, 1 Samuel 23, verse 1 says this. Uh, one day, and stay with me on the story because it's pretty interesting. One day, news came to David. The Philistines were at Kilah stealing grain from the threshing floors. David asked the Lord, should I go and attack them? Yes, go and save Kyla, the Lord told him. But David's men said, we're, we're afraid even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go to Kyla to fight the whole Philistine army. So David asked the Lord again, and again the Lord replied, go down to Kyla, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. So David and his men went to Kyla, 
they slaughtered the Philistines and took all their livestock and rescued the people of Kailah. Now when Abiathar, you sting with me, thank you Daniel, Abiathar, son of Abimelech, uh, Ahimelech, fled to David at Kailah. He bought the ephod with him. Soon, Saul soon learned that David was at Kailah. Good, he exclaimed, we've got him now. God has handed him over to me, for he has trapped himself in a walled town. So Saul mobilized his entire army to march to Kailah and besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod, David said, the Lord God of Israel. Your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Kailah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Kailah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Kailah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord, and the Lord said, they will. So here was the, the, the ending that we read. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Kailah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kailah, he did not go there. Pretty interesting kind of a movie plot here. I want you to think about what David was doing at this time. David was on the run from King Saul. Uh, and right then and then part of the story that he saved Kyla and its people when he didn't have to. So he heard about it, he heard the news, he had a choice to make to go save and intervene with 600 men that he had or not. So what happened? So David... Essentially, he has walked his whole uh, army, a group of men, and you wouldn't call it army, it's only 600 people, into a city that's on the hill, hillside from the Judean desert, hillside, and, and there's really only one or two ways that you can get up to the town. So once you're in, in that town, tactically, you're kind of trapped because if they cut off the two uh, roads that are leading up to it, then... You, you have to either fight your way out or you're there. And Saul was mustering somewhere between 15 to 25,000 men army to come against 600 scoundrels. So you get the, you, you get the urgency and the risk and the danger and, and the tactical mistake that David was willing to make and put not only his men uh, in, uh, at risk, but now you had the whole town of Kailah. Even though they were saved, now they're about to be slaughtered by King Saul because he was after David. And what's interesting also is that if you read the passage, David did an interesting thing. He went to God and asked once. And he wasn't done. He asked again. And a lot of times we kind of do that too. Right? Sometimes you go pray and then you get an answer. 
through someone, someone else that God sends, through the Holy Spirit, and you don't like the answer, so you ask it again, right? So David had a couple of options, two or three or four, maybe. Okay, the first one was, hey, think about it, put yourself in David's shoes. Okay, here he is, he didn't have to do it, and it wasn't really up to him, but he, he and David was, he had a heart of, you know, a, you know, man after his own heart, so that, that God loved him, and he had this compassion for people that, who are in need. And so he's out there doing things, he didn't have to do it, and he went and really put his own life in danger fighting the Philistines, outnumbered, and saved the town. And the town people said, okay, thanks, but uh, okay, it's time to go. And, uh, and you got to just sit there and go, hmm, I wonder what was going through his mind. His first option was to stand his ground and fight. There's a lot of impact for that, right? There's, a, there, there's some implications of standing and fighting, of thousands of soldiers coming after you under siege. By the way, and then the town that you saved will be wiped out, like as if you've done nothing. Or you could be kind of like me, when you do something good for somebody and uh, they, just, uh, they just don't get, you know, they're like, thanks, but, you know. David could have punished the people in Kyla. He could have exacted revenge. You know, you, you all don't deserve to be saved. Because they were just, let's face it, they were ungrateful, flat out selfish. And we know kind of people like that, right? in our lives. He could have cried out to God for a miracle like he's often did. Or the fourth one that he chose was he, he just decided to walk away. After all the things that that was done to him, he decided to listen to God and walk away. And David's life was sort of like that the, the whole time because when he was somewhere between 12 and 14, he was anointed. Sorry about that. He, he was anointed by Samuel, and, and there's a story behind Samuel too. And then, and then his brothers had no respect for him. He was the youngest, the ruddiest, and, uh, and so no respect from all his brothers until... He went out there and killed Goliath. And then there was some, some you know, envy, jealousy, and all those, all those things. And then because he was too successful in military operations, King Saul started getting jealous. Then he tried to kill him a couple of times, and then when he tried to arrest him and try to kill him for good, that he had to run away. And so if there was a person who really had a beef about how his life is turning out to be after he was anointed to be king, well, there's another king. That's another problem. 
But David was a man after God's own heart. And he walked away. And so, what did he remember in his life in all the things that, that he was doing? He remembered that it is God who is in charge of his life. That's the first point that I wanted to make, is that remember that God is in charge. You know, right after Kyla and, um, thank you. So right after Kyla, point number one is God is in charge. Thank you. And right after Kyla in the town of Kyla and, and David went on his way, and then he had the perfect, perfect situation right at his fingertips. And some of you remember what happened, that he was on the run again, and Saul came after him. When he came after him, Saul had to do something. Okay, and I don't want to give too much information, but we all have to do it, right? It's, it's a bodily function. So he went into the cave, and, and David was hiding in it. And so, so David found King Saul at the most vulnerable moment that any person can have. And he let him go. And this is what David said in 1 Samuel 24, 12, says this. May the Lord judge between you and me. And this is David talking to Saul after he spares his life and lets him go. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. He was saying to Saul, he was telling everybody because his, his men were telling him, get after it, go get him. Because you have been mistreated, you have been unjustly dealt with your whole life that you have issues and if there's a person who has every reason to be vengeful and 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 take that revenge it's you you are fully justified and sometimes I feel that way you know but David remember that who's really in charge of his life You know, right after Jesus um, was crucified and he rose from the dead and he's, he's appeared to, to talk to about 500 people and then he ascended into heaven and gave him the great commission and, he, and then he left his apostles to go and build, his, to build their church. For about 300 years, the early church were, was persecuted. They were just, un, just an, un, an unimaginable things happened to the Christians as the Christians were following Jesus. But right around 312, 315 AD, Constantine was able to consolidate the Roman Empire, but while in the middle of doing it, just like all of us today, right, everybody takes the Bible and they will interpret the way they, they, it's comfortable for them. And so back in 325, Constantine convened a, a council to make sure that, that we, they capture what was truly their faith and their belief. And out of that, that we come, we get a thing called Nicene Creed. And, and some of you have been in church for a while. 
Um, he starts out by saying, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And he just goes on. And, and most of us would memorize those things in church. And so, but the key in all of this was, is if you can go to Colossians 1.15, Apostle Paul says this. Okay, remember, God is in charge of, of my life. And he says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn of the among dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Colossians 1.15. In other words, what the Bible is saying is that Jesus is sovereign. And he has all authority and all power in our life. He's the first and he's the last. Nothing in my life happens without his decree. Think about that. In other words, Jesus is the true master of the universe. Right? Jesus is the true master of the universe. So that you don't have to be so that I don't have to be the master of the universe. Jesus is the master of the universe. But what does that mean practically, right? So point number two says, David remembered to ask and listen. And you notice in that one short story that he's gone to God every time that he had to make a major decision, right? And so the scripture says in verse 11, will the citizens of Kila surrender to, to me to him? Will Saul come down as your servants has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said he will. And again, David asked, will the citizens of Kila surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said they will. So one thing that you notice is that David is constantly asking. And like some of us, some of me, like me, that if you don't like the answer, you tend to ask it again. Right? But you know, and Jesus uh, said a, same, a similar thing uh, in, uh, in the New Testament. And I, I like the New Living Translation because it really gives you a flavor of what it is that, that, that God wants us to do, you know, toward him. And so, and uh, Matthew 7, 7 says, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open for you. You get the, do you, do you get the, the, the sense of persistence? Keep on doing it. It's not just once and, and be done with it and, and waiting. But, you say, okay, and then what? You ask for it. 
and you're listening, what do you do? How many of you, by show of hands, had prayed something in your heart or prayed on your knees and God just deliver whatever you were asking, right? As you're walking out of the prayer room, by show of hands, how many? Okay, you got like half, okay, all right. What about the other half? Have you received what you pray for? Right then and then? I know I have something that Christine and I, we have something that we're praying for every day, and we haven't received it yet. And it's pretty, it's pretty hard in our life. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, third thing is, you learn to wait. Learn to wait. Hebrews 11, 39, 40 says, all these people, this, uh, Hebrews 11 is the, the, the famous faith chapter, right? And, it, and so it says, all these people earn a good reputation because of their faith. And, and uh, Paul has just gone through a whole slew of people that are, are like the faith examples and models because of their faith. Yet, none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Okay. And so, so here's the thing, and it's not in your notes, and it, I just like for us all to remember, waiting, waiting does not mean there's no activity. Waiting does not mean you sit there and expect something while you're sitting. Here a picture of, uh, this is a picture of our dog, Miley, okay? She will come up and sit like she wants, she's hungry or whatever it is. She just comes sit and stares at you, stares at you, right, Johnny? Stares at you. God doesn't want, uh, want us to do this, okay? Just sit there and wait, okay? Anytime, wait, wait, okay? Something's going to come. Okay, so why do we wait? And while we're waiting, what do you do in the meantime? The first thing that, that God teaches us is that waiting is, is this realization that there's time to plant, there's time to grow, and there's time, time for fruition. So it's, a lot of these things take time. And sometimes I realize when I ask God for something that I am woefully not ready for it. Like, don't you ever say, God, you know, I'd love to have $10 million. But if you get it, be honest. Do you really know how to use $10 million? For good, for significance, impacting people, impacting community, impacting your family. Do you really know? And this is the second thing going on, and it's, it's really the battle. And Ephesians 6.12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So there may be things that, that, that you may not physically sense that's going on. That's a battle that's going on. 
between for your soul, your spirit, and the choices are, are you being ready while you're waiting? And if you can just Im imagine that this picture of while you're waiting is a gardener constantly tending the garden, weeding, fertilizing, repelling pests, making sure the water is there, and pruning, and making sure that, 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 that the right things are done to the garden. That is the imagery that, that I want to have and God wants us to have when you're waiting. And you're waiting, and it's active waiting is that you're anticipating. And the third point is, is God is also shaping you. Do you remember some of the lessons that, that, that you have in your life? And do you write those things down? And do you say, okay, boy, I screwed that up because, you know, I got a long list. My laundry list is like multiple pages of long list of mistakes that I've made. And, and but do you write those things down so you remember it? So that I remember Moses wrote down the first five books of the Bible. And if he, did, if he hadn't written it down, we wouldn't have it. We wouldn't know what happened. Are you writing those things down? Are you ready for that big day when God gives you something that you had asked for? Are you ready? Are you ready for it? And then what will you do with it once you get it? So learn to wait is not lack of activities, but it's full of activities of getting ready, getting ready to. And then God wants us to say, he wants all of us to be convinced and live every day as if you had received it. And so will it be, right? And that's the definition of faith, is that if you know today in your mind that you have received it and God We'll work that out in your life. And so we learn to wait. In uh, our models of our faith, you, you know, I may say, but why me? You know, why only me? Why does it only happen to me? Right? Another type A personality is me. But and then you go and look, and all you have to do is just look. Look, it took, took 32 years for David from the time that he was anointed. He didn't ask for it. And there was king already living, and he was at risk. And Samuel goes and anoints him and pulls all over and says, you're going to be king. From that time to 32 years before he becomes king over all of Israel. Moses, 40 years in the Midian desert, 40 years. He was an Egyptian prince, and then... For 40 years and then 40 years in the desert, what was he doing? He was a shepherd. And what do shepherds do? Take the sheep out. They're all day. Bring the sheep back in. Put in the pen. Next day he went out. He had a no book deal either. You know, he was just doing it. You know, day in and day out, day in and day out. 40 years that God was crafting him. Abraham. You know, I, I, uh, I do a lot of, you know, thinking about names, right? God, Abram was his name before God changed it. 
and he changed it to Abraham, meaning father of many. Father of many. When he changed his name, he had zero children. Zero. And God changed his name and said, you are going to be the father of many. It took 25 years for just one child. But you know what happened after this. You know how it ends. Abraham learned to wake. Joseph, if there was another person who really had issues, I'd say, look, you know, if you think you have problems in your life, ha, 13 years of servant, slave, in prison for being pure and running away from immorality. Just unjustly accused, just, you know, just being hammered. 13 years before God did anything for him. And yet, you will see that in every single person who went, who's, who's a model for us, that waiting period was full of activity, full of getting ready, full of making decisions, making mistakes. And, and so that when they walked into that position, walked onto that throne, walked on and received something that they were ready. They were ready. So I come back to type A discussion and I'll close with this. Let me ask you something. Is Jesus waiting for you to find white space on your calendar? to fit him in? Is he waiting for you to move things around on your calendar so you can have an office call with him? Or are you inviting Jesus into the center of your life daily? That's the key word, daily. Are you doing it? Let me ask it another way, type A way. Are you complaining in your heart when Jesus makes you wait for what you're praying for? You know, we serve a God who's so patient, so gracious and merciful, and I'm just grateful that he doesn't treat me like I treat him sometimes, a lot of times. And so this morning, um, as we finish and, uh, and power back on our smartphones, if you hadn't already done it, if you can remember that God is in charge, and practically speaking, how that plays out in your life is asking and listening, active asking and listening. Because, guess what? Okay, precursor to asking and, and listening is what? Is, is pretty simple. You've got to have a relationship. You wouldn't go out and ask someone out on a stranger what you should do with your life. Which means that you have to have a relationship. You have to have a relationship. 
Are you asking and are you listening to a person who that you have a relationship? And three, are you learning to wait? That means get busy on what we're doing of learning to wait. Okay. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for all your love and your mercy. May we get reminded each and every day that, that you're in charge, that we may chart the path for our lives, and yet it is you who determine it. And Father, may we just come close to you each and every day where we're not fitting you in, but we fit into your plan, Father. And finally, Father, that may, may, may we May you grant us patience and wisdom to wait, to wait in a way that you can shape us, you can prepare us, and you can make us ready for those things that, that our hearts are asking for. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said,